Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Aranax. This is a regular podcast about the transformation and changes in the maritime shipping and ocean space. It's powered by Fathom World and it's hosted by me, Craig Eason. Before I get into this week's episode of Aranax, I wanted to add my small voice to the growing numbers that are increasingly concerned about the mental health of our seafarers that remain on their vessels during these challenging times. As we see governments shutting down major parts of society to try and prevent the spread of the coronavirus and sickness, we still have the need for ships to take goods that we want and need around the world. We still need global trade to work. But as an ex-seafarer with 10 years at sea, one thing I know is that what is going on ashore will have a huge impact on the minds and well-being of the crews on ships, crews that often find themselves at the rough end of port state control. There has been a focus on the well-being and mental health of ships' crews over the last few years, and that, of course, is welcome. But as we all focus on our own circumstances, we should also think a little bit about those that remain stranded on ships, perhaps unable to travel home to loved ones, unable to have their relief join a ship, and perhaps unable to call in ports. Please, we need a coordinated response internationally to help our crews and to ensure we respect them in the same way that we are expecting our governments to respect and protect us. Now, back to this week's Aranax. I was just before the borders closed in Copenhagen for the annual Green Ship Technology Conference. It was a rather mute affair, admittedly, but there were enough people there pushing the transformation and technology agendas. One of the people I met was Gavin Allwright, the Secretary General of the International Windship Association, which has members developing a range of new sail, power and propulsion systems for the shipping industry. Now, sail has, of course, been around for centuries. We all have an image of the tall ships that sailed the oceans and the memory of the tea clippers and their huge sails and vast amounts of rigging can still be seen on the banks of the Thames at Greenwich, where the Cutty Sark rests as a permanent reminder. So as we see shipping try to decide on its roads to decarbonise, Gavin Allwright and his members are pushing the power of the wind at sea, which they say is pretty abundant, is free at the point of delivery, and the claim can be used to create up to 70% of certain ships' power or propulsions, therefore providing a significant reduction of fuel costs, whatever that fuel may be. As a maritime journalist looking at the changing industry, this is perhaps one of the most exciting times to have my job. I've been reporting on these technologies for a number of years, and we've covered a number of these developments, which can be found in the Fathom World archives. But wind technology solutions seem to have come on significantly in the last five years. In 2015, one of the bosses of a leading classification society told me that he quite categorically did not believe that there was a future for wind power in modern shipping. But 2015 is certainly not 2020. A lot has happened. I know now of a dozen or so companies working on wind propulsion projects, some of which are now being tested or in service. So I asked Gavin Allwright how the perception is changing in the industry towards these novel solutions. Probably the last 18 months, we've really seen a change in, a shift in that perception in the industry. Obviously, the industry is looking for solutions. They're looking for solutions that can bring substantial changes, not just, you know, um, going around the edges of this problem, one, two percent here, half a percent here in, in increased efficiency. 
and they're looking towards wind propulsion because this is an energy that is delivered directly to the ship it's pretty abundant uh, especially on some routes but it's pretty abundant out at sea it's free at the point of delivery and all you need to do is really harness that now by harnessing it you can already with the existing technologies we're looking at 5 to 20% reduction in uh, in in fuel and subsequent emissions with more of an optimization with larger rigs we could probably push that up as a retrofit up to a 30% uh, reduction now you mentioned primary wind or or or, or wind propulsion as the main propulsor we could be talking 50 60 70 or more percent um, running that vessel and of course with auxiliary engines but anybody who's a sailor anybody who's got a a little yacht a little um, dinghy even will know the great difficulty of actually being able to turn that sail power into that boat moving you can only go to certain points towards the wind you can only get so much push from it and if you look at the large T-clippers that I mentioned, the, num- the amount of sail area they needed to be able to move that cargo from China to the UK or wherever, it's massive. They were massive sail area. But I'm seeing these ideas that are coming forward that don't seem to reflect that massive sail area. So what is changing here and can we get the amount of power out of the wind and really harness it into be able to move some of these massive vessels. One of the reasons we call it a wind ship rather than a sail ship is we're actually looking at wind propulsion. Now, these some of the some of the systems that you will actually see you wouldn't recognise those as a classic sailing ship. And I'll give you one example, which is probably the the market leader or the or the one with the most uptake in the market just at the moment and that's called a Fletner rotor which looks like a huge cylinder it's rotating and as the wind hits it it uses a thing called the Magnus effect which is like a spin ball in uh, in baseball uh, or a curve ball in baseball I should say uh, and you have a, a pressure differential on either side of that cylinder and that creates thrust now if you see that you don't hark back to a cutty sark or or whatever and i'll give you an example of exactly that type size of ship Uh, maersk tankers uh, installed two of these fletner rotors 30 meter tall ones um, on a hundred nine thousand deadweight ton lr2 product tanker and she's been in operation over a year and averaged out it got 8.2 percent saving on that ship in exactly the same kind of operational profile as she would have done without the wind. So she could probably take another two Fletner rotors quite easily. Um, And remember, this is a a retrofitted option. So that vessel is pretty much a big brick with a pointy bit on the front and large engines. She's not optimized for for wind propulsion. Just made it clear about that, though. So the, the ship has still got its engine. Absolutely. It's still got its normal engine. You put the Fletner rotors on, and the Fletner rotors then mean that the engine doesn't get used as much. Yes. I mean, there are actually two ways you could probably use this. One is you could maintain your speed with less less fuel and less engine power being used. Or you could actually increase your speed, in theory, depending on how fast you were going in the first place, how fast the wind is in that situation. I've been reporting on the shipping industry for many years now. 
and one of the things that um, I see is that a lot of owners are compliance based they know what the regulations are or they hope to know what the regulations are that's another topic in itself they hope to know what the regulations are and be able to then meet those regulations so being compliance based usually also means that they've got a date to be compliant and between now and that date they will at times try and get themselves compliant quite often up until the deadline you're talking here about a novel set of technologies that are coming into the industry. How can you see these solutions, whether it's a wing sail, whether it's a rig, whether it's a Flettner rotor or even the kites, how do you see those fitting into an industry that has a history of being compliance-based and then wanting to be only as far as the regulations? Yeah, no, it's 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 a really good question, and I think um, that you know a large a large percentage of the industry is certainly compliance based and and will follow uh, the letter of the law um, when when it's imposed. Um, we do have first movers, we do have early adopters that will certainly be testing these, and that's what we're seeing at the moment. Um, one one interesting aspect just at the moment is with that compliance based activity. Um, we're actually seeing that quite a few ship owners have been caught out. For example, with scrubber installations, we've seen a great downturn in activity in, in shipyards in China, for example, a delay in getting those. That means your asset is basically uh, not functioning at the moment. Now, one thing that wind does, and this is not over a short-term period, but one thing that wind does, it actually future-proofs your vessels. So you know today how much one unit of wind power will cost. Zero. It doesn't cost anything except for the technology to capture it. At the end of the life of that vessel, 25, 20, 25, 30 years, it will still be the same. We can't say that about fossil fuels for sure, and we certainly have no idea what alternative fuels like hydrogen, ammonia, any of uh, methanol, any of these alternative fuels, we have no idea on the cost. But virtually everybody says they will be a very high cost, especially in the first potential, say, decade of that fuel being available. So what we're saying is lock in 20% of your fuel component, perhaps, at zero. That helps to de-risk the future and de-risk future investments. But you're asking for a lot of money to come up front from these companies, from technologies that are... Um, somewhat, I wouldn't say unproven. I'm sure the technology companies don't like me using that word, but they'd like me to use a word that suggests that there hasn't been a lot of experience of these solutions in the market at the moment. So what do you think needs to change? And what policies and attitudes do you think really need to change for your solutions, your members' solutions, to actually start appearing on ships? Because when they start appearing on ships, that's a very visual indicator for society that the shipping industry is evolving transitioning towards this low carbon future so what policies and attitudes need to start changing for us to be able to get there um i'm going to start with the first part of of your statement there uh, around the the finance and this is an area where there's definitely change that's required um change from both sides, from the supplier and from and from the buyer, if you like, um, the 
you know, we had the split incentive within shipping or a lot of shipping where the charterer who actually rents the boat, if you like, or leases the boat, pays for the fuel, but the owner of the vessel would have to pay for the technology. So it's like in a rented house when you've got solar panels on the roof. You know, why would the, why would the landlord put those on when you're getting the benefit as the as the uh, as the tenant? Now we are seeing the development of financial models, financial instruments that actually bridge that and and allow the uh, both the ship owner and the charterer to share in the profits um, and the technology provider as well. There's also leasing. Um, the concept of leasing the technology onto the vessel as opposed to actually selling and having a big capital expenditure at the beginning. So pretty much if we can move from a heavy capital expenditure model to an operational expenditure model, then we're starting to move the logjam there. So so that's that's one thing that needs to change. Um, the second one, actually, I'm going I'm to tackle the hardest one second, which is perception. Um, two or three years ago, exactly what you just said, Craig, was that th- putting a wind propulsion system on your ship was pretty much the most visual, the most obvious change you could make to a ship, period. Except maybe painting it a different color. Now, the shipping industry is a small, it's a, it's a huge industry, but it's actually quite a small family. There are a, a lot of very big companies or associations, and pretty much being a first mover in the wind propulsion sector would be very obvious and quite difficult to actually uh, uh, pull off well. Now, interestingly, the last two to three years, we've actually, now I'm talking with ship owners that see that as an asset, because it really is a visual statement. We are doing something, we're decarbonizing, come to us, the cargo owners will look after you, will give you what you're asking for. So that perception has certainly changed. Has it changed completely? No. I still get once every couple of months someone coming up and saying, hey, you're the guy that's saying we don't need engines anymore, which is frankly ridiculous. Anyhow, and those are people in the industry for many years. So perception is changing and is shifting, and pretty much that's on three levels the credibility of wind as an energy source um, and the offshore wind uh, farms that we're seeing help help to change that perspective. Um, viability, so the viability of these technologies. All of the class now are developing guidelines or have launched guidelines for wind propulsion um, uh, technologies. So it, th- this isn't somebody uh, drawing something on the back of a napkin and saying, hey, this is a great idea, let's put it on a ship. It's, these are automated 21st century solutions using new materials, new concepts. We're not going backwards here. And the final thing is around policy. And, of course, policymakers are sometimes the last people to actually appreciate a change. Um, the industry has been slow to pick up on this uh, uh, trend, but now that momentum is growing. Policymakers generally don't like to take risk. So with decarbonization, yes, they might talk about decarbonization, but what are the policies? Which pathways should we take? Which way should we go? They're not sure, so they don't make a decision. They don't put the policy instruments in place. Our approach is to say we have a big toolbox of solutions. 
that can probably reach across the fleet maybe up to a third of the emissions could be tackled with wind propulsion. That's maybe being, me being a little optimistic, but a quarter to a third. That means it is a can-do situation. Now, the policy changes that we'd like to see are things like um, it would be lovely to see the, the subsidies, direct and indirect subsidies, coming off fossil fuels. That's unlikely. But certainly taxing marine fuel, carbon pricing marine fuel, which both are not done at the moment, will be a, a dramatic change. But more importantly, and actually the shipping industry has um, uh, is, is going to be suggesting or, or delivering an idea to the International Maritime Organization at the next uh, big meeting. That's the R&D fund from the shipowner groups, and exactly. you can hear about that in an earlier episode of the Aronax, oh. because I interviewed um, Guy Platten and Simon Bennett from ICS about that proposal. But you think that's going to be a way forward? Well, I think that ring fencing where you're, you're taking a levy from fuel, it doesn't leave the industry, but it's being used to actually decarbonize. So you're actually... Um, doing that. $2 a tonne of fuel, it's a start. It's a good start. I would like to be seeing $20 a tonne for fuel up to $50 a tonne for fuel, um, at least. Possibly $50, ton, uh, $50 per tonne of emissions, which is three times higher. But if that's ring-fenced and brought back in, subsidizing or assisting in R&D, subsidizing some of the smaller ship owners who struggle with this, and giving softer loans, perhaps... To, uh, for installations, that can really kickstart this. It won't do the whole job, but it would certainly do the first thousand installations. We'd be looking at the market then taking over. Gavin Allwright, Secretary General of the International Windship Association, talking to me in Copenhagen recently about the developments of wind assist or wind propulsion technologies and how he sees these technologies the companies in his association have been developing are being perceived in the industry. Now, one of the entrepreneurs in Copenhagen taking part in Greenship Technology was Brian Boserup, a Dane with undoubtedly a sense of dedication, having developed one of the most unusual solutions involving wind. I cover the news of his initial funding now leading to the creation of a joint industry project proposal as he seeks to reach the next step, that's the construction of a scale model of his extremely large trimaran, something that overshadows a Boeing 747 in size. I caught up with him to find out what makes him tick and why he thinks his idea is one of the ones that will be a success. It is a challenge and uh, we often hear that the shipping industry is like uh, one of the most conservative industries, but I, I will not call it conservative, as, uh, but, but they are the people making the Decisions, the decisions they have uh, these positions because they don't make too many mistakes and if you don't make any mistakes then uh, you don't take any chances so so it is a it is a challenge to bring innovation into shipping um, but we we do need new solutions because uh, as we see now the industry is joining together in coalitions aiming to develop new fuels and uh, I, I think they spent uh, too many resources in, in that direction rather than trying to minimize the need for horsepower. I mean, if you optimize the hull and, and change 
the focus trying to have the combustion engine as a system propulsion rather than the primary propulsion, then I think uh, it would be a, a totally different uh, uh, mix of uh, solutions that would come out of this. So uh, wind, uh, I mean, we we had high performance sail ships uh, 150 years ago, but uh, uh, since then the development stopped and, uh, and now with the new materials, we have uh, wings, we have uh, carbon, uh, composite, and uh, new hull types. If we optimize on, on all the issues, uh, then I think we can come up with a solution where we can actually go zero emission and uh, also transport uh, a, a good payload, um, maybe a maximum of like a 10,000, 15,000 ton payload. But if it's possible, then let's do it. I mean, and um, so I, I, bet I think it's uh, it's needed for the industry because making a zero emission fuel, I think it's not uh, doable and it cannot be scaled up. Uh, and uh, but there's a lot of policy politics in this one, and um, and I think we have to. Uh, uh, take a new direction rather than uh, following. Uh, so, so you kind of advocate a more um, open approach to be technology agnostic so we can actually have a, a set of different systems that are going to be developed that can actually be integrated together in different formats um, for different kind of solutions. So let's have a look at the the wind solution that you've been developing over the last four or five years, I'm not quite uh, sure. Twelve. Let's have a look at the, okay, let's have a look at the net, what you've developed over the last 12 years. Um, because the difference I see between what you've got and what a lot of the other solutions that I've seen are is the solutions that are currently um, on the market that I've seen are actually solutions that get put on a vessel. There's a flatner rotor or a wing sail that gets put onto a ship, a retrofit. So it's uh, an ordinary ship with a new kind of wind assist solution on board. Yours is a more of a total package and it's quite a unique design. It's the only design I've seen that's a trimaran for starters, a huge trimaran the size of a Boeing 747 why are you going for the complete package and why not just the sale uh, I think we I think we need both I mean we have these 19,000 uh, commercial ships that uh, they need some kind of retrofit but uh, so I applause all the initiatives and the other technologies but at the same time, we need to look for zero emission ships, how to develop zero emission ships. And uh, these ships uh, will be uh, impacting the future of shipping. And uh, so uh, 12 years ago, we, we just took that direction and said, uh, this is what we are going to do. And uh, also we see the problems with the ballast water and uh, and ballast water is one third of what we transport today. So why not go for a wider hull? So we went for the trimaran and uh, we have it optimized. And, and there are so many advantages with the trimaran hull. So I, I don't see how this solution can be ignored. Uh, and um, so we are pushing it. How are you going to bring this to fruition? Um, you've got a large vessel so you need investors to come in to the whole vessel concept so that means you need to have a cargo owner 
involved. You need to have shipyards involved. It's a lot. It's a lot more complex. This process is a lot more complex compared to trying to sell a solution to a ship owner so they can save fuel. Yeah. It is uh, complex and uh, it is a network with shipyards and engine manufacturers and everybody is like uh, married uh, around the combustion technology. And uh, But uh, again, uh, if we can uh, demonstrate uh, all the benefits of this new type of ship, then uh, and it will create, of course, a massive attention also and a good PR if you come along. So... I think uh, we will. Uh, we are now in dialogue with uh, some OEMs, and uh, we will go in the direction of uh, having cargo owners involved that uh, have already committed to reduce their emissions. And uh, I think they see uh, transport as some low-hanging fruits and uh, also a good PR opportunity. So. Uh, Uh, this is uh, our focus right now to get partners, uh, primarily OEMs. We are also in dialogue with one port we like to get on, on board and, uh, and a shipyard. So. Why do you think it's important to have a scale model of your final design? Why not go straight to the uh, your ultimate goal? Yeah, it it is very expensive and very risky to start out with a 170-meter trim around without... Uh, having uh, tried these technologies uh, together. Uh, so the demonstrator is a, is a two-year uh, joint industry project, and uh, from this one we will uh, achieve many experiences, and, uh, and we will uh, probably uh, ha- have a better fundament for des- deciding uh, which technologies actually should be uh, uh, on the full scale. And uh, part of our joint industry project is also a finished design of this full-scale version. And uh, the aim is actually for us to uh, go with the blueprints to a shipyard and ask what what is the price to build this trimaran. And my final question is, why a trimaran? Why have you got a three-hull design for a cargo vessel? There are many benefits and a few uh, also challenges. Uh, the trimaran, of course, is very wide. Uh, we have a, a beam of uh, 70 meters, and uh, this uh, gives us uh, the st- structural stability we need uh, as we are using very tall wings, 80 meter wings. So we need a wide hull uh, to uh, uh, So we don't need to use the ballast water. Uh, and uh, the, the other advantage is, is primarily we have a very low draft. So it's allowing us to uh, service uh, shallow water ports. And, uh, and also uh, the f- friction and uh, the long slender hulls uh, allows us to uh, power this ship uh, with only 4 megawatt. And uh, and still going 16 knots. That have now been uh, it has now been uh, optimized. Uh, actually, this week where we will now take one hull out of the water permanently, so uh, it will always be running on two hulls, and uh, and that uh, even uh, increases the performance further. So, 
I'm looking forward very much to uh, see the performance of this uh, optimized design. That was Brian Boser up in Copenhagen talking to me during the annual Greenship Technology Conference about the trimaran design he's been promoting for a number of years now. Well, that's it for this episode of Aronax. Our next episode will continue our look at wind propulsion systems with a special look at the wing system by Dutch outfit Econowind, which is already on board vessels in Northern Europe, including a unique containerized unit the company now rents out to potential customers that are getting more and more interested in using wind-based solutions. Please remember to subscribe to this Aronax podcast And also go to Fathom World to sign up for our free newsletter, The Transformation, which looks at the changing shape of our maritime and ocean industries. Until the next time, goodbye.